Amen. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, before we begin uh, get into our message, I want to just uh, say a couple of things, bring a couple of things to your attention. First, um, on behalf of the pastoral staff, we just appreciate the uh, outpouring of kindness and love at, uh, through the Christmas giving, and uh, very much appreciated and so grateful again to be here, um, here in Chillicothe, again celebrating for our family our first New Year with you and excited about what is ahead. I want to have a word of prayer before I uh, go into the message, and I want to encourage you to pray for the Atkins family. Golden, Goldie Atkins uh, passed away uh, this past weekend, and also uh, Sue Harper also passed and went home to be with the Lord. And so pray for the Atkins family, and then Sue Harper, her family. Pray for John Harper and Cindy Driggs and her sister Terry Jones. Um, and, of course, uh, family, beloved members here. And so we just want to lift them up in prayer and also go to the Lord and ask God's blessings upon this day as we also rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. So let's pray. Father, we bow our head before you, and we thank you for the privilege it is to gather here on January 1st, 2023, and to lift up the name of your great Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the work that you have done in Kurt and Emily's life and their family. And thank you for um, just the, the, the power of the gospel uh, to transform our lives. And uh, we pray for them as they continue on this journey with you. And we are thankful that um, we as a church family get to share um, in that blessing. We also want to lift up these that are grieving at this time of year, and this particularly this weekend, we lift up uh, the Atkins family, we lift up John and Cindy and Terry and their family, and pray, Father, that you can comfort them in the way that only you, the God of all grace, can. And we pray that you would wrap them in the wonderful hope of the gospel, knowing that for every believer, the passing from this life is an entrance into the life that is to come and into the presence of our dear Savior. And so we pray that you would grant peace and that you would grant wisdom and strength in this time. We now pray for your word as it is proclaimed. Pray that you would pour out the power of the Holy Spirit, that the word of God would, and we know and trust that the word of God will not return void. And as we go to this passage in the New Testament, we just pray that Jesus Christ will be lifted up, that he will be exalted and that we, we will see him afresh this morning with, with a, uh, encouraged hearts. And that if there's one here that's never been saved, that today, that they will believe and they will call upon you for salvation. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. The book of Colossians chapter 1. And we are going to read verse 15 through 20. And the title of the message today is Our Hymn to Christ. And it is a, it really is a great passage to preach on New Year's Day, uh, to start out a year, out the new year. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's Word. And, uh, we're going to begin in verse 15. And here is what the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, He is the image that is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers 
or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning I'm going to begin by just asking you this question. What is your song? What is your song? And you may say, well, uh, what, what do you mean? Well, everybody has a song. So there's some song that comes to your mind that just like it's the song that you go to, that you listen to when you're driving, when you're working. Every couple has a song. Every couple has a song that's their favorite song. I will not tell you what our songs are, but we have a song. And uh, every team, every team has a song they like to warm up to. So if you play basketball, you play a sport, and you warm up before a basketball game, there's a song that comes on, and it gets you motivated, and it stirs you up, makes you ready to play. I mean, even players have their own songs. If you go to, if you go to a Cincinnati Reds game or any professional baseball game, they, when they get up to the plate, there's a song that plays. And the reason I bring that up is because our songs stir our emotions. They reveal our hearts to some degree. And really, our songs show us or show what is important to us. So that really brings us to the key, the key question here. What is important to you? Or what is most important to you? And, and, and if we answer that question, I mean, maybe another way to say it is what we saw on the video as we were preparing for the, as in, before I, when I came up here on, on the platform. What is, what is first place for you? What is first for you? And if we answer that question honestly, there are a lot of things that might land there that might even be in the songs that we listen to. Some are good, some can be bad. Maybe it's your job, maybe it's money, maybe it's health, maybe it's relationships or kids or family, material possessions, retirement. Maybe for you what's important, most important is sports, music, video games, or pleasure, or status. And, and again, you know, th- those things aren't necessarily bad, but the point is, is we are wanna, we wanna really probe our hearts to ask ourselves, what is most important? What would the songs that we listen to reveal? Where is Jesus in the list of what is important? Where does he rank in terms of significance to you, for your life, and for that matter, for the entire universe? How often do you think about him? What do you believe about him? Those are all key questions when we think about what's important to us and where Jesus fits into that. The Puritan John Owen wrote this, one of the greatest privileges the believer has both in this world and for eternity is to behold the glory of Christ. Because the truth is, nothing is more important than Jesus. And that's what you see here in this text before us. In fact, this passage, verse 15 through 20, you might call it prose of praise. Because this text is a, it is a, it is poetic. It is considered a hymn 
or it was at least written in, it, it can be broken down into stanzas, and it was believed that it's a doxology in some sense that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So here you have a song in the New Testament that would help believers in the church real, recognize that Jesus is who is most important. This text, this song, this prose of praise gives us the importance of the glorious Son of God. In fact, if you back up to verse 11 through 14, you will see that the God, that God the Father has rescued us through His glorious Son, Jesus. And in Jesus, we have both forgiveness of sin and redemption. And so when Paul, as he's writing, introducing, after he's gone through his expressions of thanksgiving and he's, he's told them about his prayer for them, how he prays for them, it, it is now here where he wants these believers to be encouraged or he wants to encourage them because these believers have lost perspective. Additionally, these believers in this church are being enticed by a whole variety of wrong views about Jesus. And so what better way to capture a right view of Jesus than writing in a song in, in almost like a stanza format. Hence why it's considered a hymn. It is considered to be a hymn in the New Testament. And so these believers, this church is being enticed with wrong views of Jesus. And today is the same. Jesus is presented in so many ways, in so many cases, as a means to something else. Jesus to many people is just like an add-on to their life. Kind of like a, a, a good luck charm that you can, that, that people think that they can just attach to themselves and take that out when you need it, put it back when you, when you don't need it. Some, some, some believe Jesus is like just a, a self-improvement coach. So our culture is filled with all sorts of wrong views of Jesus. So as Paul is telling them how he gives thanks for their salvation, he writes this song, this maybe a better way to say it, a confessional statement that exalts Christ. He wants to drill into their mind, into their heart, a right view of Jesus. In fact, you could call this passage, verse 15 through 20, the Grand Canyon vision of Jesus. It is one of the most glorious vistas of who Jesus Christ truly is that you will find in the New Testament. It is almost as if Paul, as he is writing, he pauses and he just kind of goes into this song and he begins to write and he just wants to exalt Christ to this church. And church, if there is anything that we need going into the new year, it is exactly that. We need a Grand Canyon vision of Jesus. We need to have our glasses uh, cleaned off and we need to see Him highly exalted for who He truly is. And here's the key to the whole passage. Here's what Paul wants us to rock away with today from verse 15 to 20. That Jesus is supreme and should be first place in our lives. I mean, that's, that's what this song is all about. That Jesus is supreme and that He should be first place in our lives. And if that is the case, 
If we're going to walk into a new year, if we're going to walk into all the years that God may in His providence have for us together, then what we need to be, what we need to grasp today is what He says here about Christ. And there are two things, just two things. Now don't get too excited. That doesn't mean this is a terribly short sermon. Okay? There are two glorious peaks that we want to climb today. And one of them is the truth that Jesus is supreme in creation. And two, we want to see that Jesus is sovereign in the church. Those are the two things that Paul is going to drill down into this Colossian church so that they will be able to easily recognize false views of Jesus and that they will be driven by a right view of who Jesus is. So let's look at the first thing. Number one, he is supreme in creation. That's the first thing that Paul says. I mean, look at the way he starts in verse 15. He, after he says... That that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And it is in his beloved son that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And his beloved son is the image of the invisible God. And the firstborn of all creation. So Paul shows us that he is supreme in creation. And so this is his first declaration. And so you see in verse 15, he makes a claim. And he'll do the same thing in the second point. He'll give you a claim about who Jesus is, and then he'll give you the reasons for it. So the claim is simple, Jesus is supreme. But let's, let's, let's tease that out. Who is Jesus? Why is he supreme? Well, the claim is this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now the Greek word for image here is the word icon. Where we get the word icon. On your computer, there is an icon. You'll click on that icon. It'll open up a, it'll open up a program. On your phones, you have apps. You go to those icons, you click on them, and it'll open up that app. And so the icon simply represents the full total of the app. And so when Paul says this, that Jesus is the icon, he is an icon that represents something. He is the, he is the full and complete representation of the invisible God, the God whom we do not see, but know he, know he exists. And so often this word is used in ancient literature to reference a picture or a portrait. Jesus is the portrait of the invisible God, or the God who is, but again has not been seen. And so what Paul wants us to see is, and actually he's going back even to Genesis. Remember what, what Genesis 1 says? That man and woman were created in what? In the image of God. But guess what? Because of sin, all that image has been shattered. It has been broken because of sin. And so now, the, the image of God in every sinner has been broken, but Jesus, so we don't, we don't truly represent God fully at all. We have, we're like him in ways, but because of sin that has shattered his image in us. But Jesus is the perfect image of God. Paul wants these believers to know Jesus is not an imitation of God. He's not a cardboard cutout of God. 
He is not just simply a, a picture of God like you would pull up a picture of someone on your phone. But Jesus is the divine revelation of God showing us what God is like. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 gives us even a clearer vision of this. Where the writer says he is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. Did you hear that? The exact imprint of his nature. To be the exact imprint of his nature means what the ancient confession states. He is very God of very God. All that makes God God is in Christ. That's what it's saying. Uh, you know, the, the distinction would be when someone says to me, you know, your son is a spitting image of you. Well, there's things that my sons or my children would have like me, but they're not spitting images of me. They're not carbon copies of me. But when you come to Jesus, Jesus is carbon copy of God the Father. He is God of very God. And the idea there is communicated in the New Testament. Remember when Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you heard my voice, you have heard the Father's voice. There is direct equivalence that is there. And that is why John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's right hand. He has made him known. Or in other words, when Jesus came to the earth, his purpose in coming, or one of those purposes, is to reveal the true God in himself. And so here in this passage in Colossians 1, Paul provides the clearest statement on the deity of Christ. That he is both fully man and he is fully God. So if you want to sum up everything that I just tried to explain, it's just simply this. Jesus Christ is fully God. Now I understand there is one God and there are three persons in the Godhead. And we would equally say that God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. God the Spirit is fully God. And they are one God. I, I don't know how to put my mind fully around that. I just simply understand that is exactly how Scripture reveals the one true and living God. And this passage is talking about the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. And what Paul wants us to know is, is that Jesus is fully God. And anyone walking around claiming otherwise, they are a false teacher. And they existed then, and they exist now. In fact, you could just go to the Jehovah Witness and you could say, what's your view of Jesus? And you know what they believe Jesus is? They believe that Jesus simply is the, the, the created angel, Michael, who took on human form. In other words, Michael was the first being that was ever created. And Michael came to earth through the virgin birth and took the name Jesus. That's heresy. In fact, that heresy could be dated back to around the Gnostics of the New Testament. False teachers. If you go to the Mormons, what you will find out is that they believe that Jesus is basically a child, a physical being that was created by a celestial relationship that God the Father had with Mary. That's what Mormons believe. 
If you talk to Muslims, what they will say is that Jesus is just another human being, the greatest of all prophets, and he would be the equivalent of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And so the fact of the matter is, is that there's all, you see, there's all sorts of wrong views of Jesus. And so we need what he says here as much as they needed it then. Because there are other people who would just dismiss Jesus and say, well, you know, he's just a legend, a myth, the equivalent of the tooth fairy or Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. And sorry if I just ruined someone's life, but the reality is, is that there are people who believe that he's a myth, a legend, that he's just made up. And then as you look at our current cultural moment, there are others who believe that, that a political Jesus, that he's just a, he's just a good guy. And wants everybody to love everyone. Be nice. And it doesn't matter really what you believe about him. That's false. It matters what we believe about him. Paul wants them to know that Jesus is fully God. He is the image of the invisible God. But then to build on that, he says he's also the firstborn of creation. So the claim is he's supreme because he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of creation. And so here, Paul just undergirds what he's already said when he states that Jesus is the firstborn. Now, this word firstborn is used 132 times in the Septuagint. And it refers to a person of superior rank. In other words, if a Jehovah Witness looked at this verse, they would just say, well, you see, he's the firstborn, right? He's Michael, and he was just born into the world. And, and so this is why we have to understand that the word firstborn, every time it is used in the New Testament, virtually, it means superior rank, the firstborn son, who is the inheritor. So an inheritance would go to the firstborn son. I have a firstborn son. And so the word firstborn means that it, it not only just means that he's firstborn, he was born, but in our case it means that he would receive the inheritance. It's not literal, by the way. It's just using an analogy here. Don't want to get his hopes up. So, the, the, so here, what, what he's saying is, is that Jesus is the firstborn or that he is the one who is the Messiah, the inheritor. Psalm 20, he is first in rank. He is above all others. Psalm 89, verse 27, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. I will make him first. I will make him supreme. I will make him most important. And so what Paul is saying here to the church at Colossae is that Jesus, who is the exact expression or impression of God's very person, he is not part of creation. He is the firstborn over creation. He is supreme, and because of that, he should be supreme in our lives. So that begs the question, who is Jesus to you? Have you given any thought to that? I mean, if someone came up to you and said, so who is Jesus Christ? Well, guess what? In about 119 words in verses 15 through 20, you can tell them who Jesus is according to the New Testament. You can address any air that was out there and say, now hold on a minute, here's who Jesus is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of creation. And therefore, he is fully God. 
It is important for all of us, even today, to be equipped with a right understanding of who Jesus is. Because only then will we recognize him as supreme. But now, here's what Paul does. He makes the claim, but then what he does is he gives you the reasons that Jesus is supreme in verse 16. So he, he, he's, listen, he's supreme. He's the, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of creation. And then you have that, that conjunction word for. Okay, here's the reason why he's the firstborn. Here's the reason why he's the highest in rank. Here's the reason why I just said that he is the image of the invisible God. And Paul gives you reasons. For by him all things were created. Circle the word by if you circle words. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Circle the word through. And all things were made for him. Wow, I mean, that is powerful. So what Paul does is, is he shows us why Jesus is supreme. Well, he is the creator of all things, Paul says. All things were created by him. And that word by indicates the architect, right? If you're building a building, you have to first have an architect. Somebody who draws up the blueprints. Someone who has the blueprints in hand. They're the grand designer. And so he says that all things were created by him, designed by him. The universe was not created by a big bang billions of years ago. All things exist because of him. In other words, Paul is saying Jesus is the cause for everything. And so parents, when you look at your kids and you say, who created you? God created me. Why did God create you? For his glory. You are teaching them what scripture truly reveals. God created you. God in the the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, spoke and all things came into existence. And so that is what we would call gospel science. Gospel science. Because the world would look at us and say, you're crazy. Right? And they have all these complicated things that they like to roll out in front of us. And so, really, let's just be as simple as we can. We believe that everything in the universe was created by Jesus Christ. And anyone who may say that is anti-science, no, that is super science. That is gospel science. And that is what is revealed in his word. Christ is the first cause. So if there was any bang, any noise, anything, he caused it. Then he says all things were created through him, right? He's the agent of creation. He's not just the architect, he's the agent. And again, it's what we just said. He made everything from nothing. Paul is comprehensive here as well. Paul doesn't want to leave any stone unturned. He wants us to know that Christ has created everything. Things in heaven. Things on earth. Things that we see. Things that we do not see. All the laws of physics. All the things that that explain the order and the design of the universe. Jesus Christ created all of it. He made the sun. He made the moon. He hung the stars. He created the earth. He measured the waters for every ocean in the very cup of his hand. He threw it out and created every lake, every river, every ocean, 
He measured out the dust of the earth, and he made the land. He weighed the mountains and scales, Isaiah says, and the hills in a balance. He scooped every valley, and he formed every cliff. He named every star. He created every insect. He made every bird, every fish, every sea creature, every beast, every animal. And then from the dust of the earth, he made man and woman. Yes, brothers and sisters, he made it all. And that's why when you look at your children, you say, and you're out there and you look up in the sky and you say, hey, who made that? And they look at you and they say, Jesus made that. Listen, they're speaking to you the greatest of all theology. Christ made the universe and everything in it. But you know what? I mean, Paul goes even beyond that. Paul goes to the other world, the unseen world, the spirit world. And he says he also made all the authorities, all the powers. Look at the text. I mean, the dominions, the rulers, the authorities, the thrones. He's speaking of all the angelic beings that he made. In rank, in order. The seraphims and the cherubims. Michael and Gabriel. Even Satan and Lucifer, angels that have fallen. He made all of it. And do you know why it's important that we know that he made it all? Because he's over it all. He rules it all. He's supreme over it all. None of it is greater than him. Nothing is is greater than him. Nothing is more supreme than him. Can you imagine you sitting in that little church in the Roman Empire with Caesar sitting on the throne and threats all around and you just were told that your Lord, Jesus Christ, is the one (laughs) who made it all? I mean, what? Do you see what comfort the supremacy of Christ gives us? But he's not done yet. There's another preposition. All things were made for him. Here you have the aim of creation, right? He's the architect of creation. He's the agent of creation. But hey, the aim of creation is what? What is the aim of creation? Is it for God to, to, to bow to us? Oh, no, 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 no. It's for us to bow to him. All things were created for him. That's why we ask in that, in that catechism, why did God make you in all things? He made me in all things for His glory. All things exist for His glory. He is the goal of all creation. He made everything so that He might be glorified, praised, and enjoyed forever. So that every bite we take from any food we enjoy... Any pleasure that we are enabled to engage in that God has created, he created all of this so that we would look to him and say, you are worthy to be praised. Now, I know that that's been shattered by sin. But the point is, is that Paul in this this epic, poetic prose wants us to know that Jesus is, is the creator of all things. But he also says the second thing. He's not only the creator of all things. Look what he says in verse 17. He is the sustainer of all things. Now before I talk about that, I I, want to just go back to the prepositions for all things. Because I, I, I think that that can sting if we don't 
pay attention because we have this sinful idea that it's all about me, (laughs) that it's all about us. We are raised in a culture that believes in a man-centered universe. What Paul just presented and what the Bible presents is a God-centered universe. And just so you know that that Romans chapter 11, it, it ends and it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And then in chapter 12 it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable God, which is their spiritual worship. In other words, the fact that Jesus Christ is the creator ought to cause in us a sense of surrender to him. And then that gives us the second thing here. He is the sustainer of all things. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Hold together. This is his sustaining work over creation. Not only is the son the agent of creation, the aim of creation, the architect of creation, he is the sustainer. He is actively sustaining everything right now. He holds it all together. Not a star in the galaxy shoots across the night sky without his sovereignty and supremacy over it. He's over every microscopic organism. All of it is under his control. And the reason the universe, the the reason that the whole earth is spinning in the manner in which it's spinning and orbiting around the sun and the whole reason that it just doesn't explode into oblivion is because he upholds the universe by the very word of his power he sustains everything even to the extent that in Acts 17 paul says that he gives to every being breath and life we are breathing in this moment and that breath is given to him we are sustained in life because of him I remember having a, and sometimes I refer to this more than once in sermons, so if I've already referred to it, I apologize. But I remember when I was at a, uh, I was having a, an ablation done for a, 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 an electrical issue in my heart that I had been born with. And I remember when I went to the doctor, and the doctor was a believer, and so he knew that I was a bit, you know, nervous about this procedure, even though it was generally safe and and everything, and so he he had on the screen he had a he had a model of a heart in his hand, and he was showing me you know all the valves and all the circuits and everything, and then he pulled one up on a three you know, D image up on his monitor, and so this heart is <laughs> this heart is spinning, then he hit a button and all of a sudden it started beating and there was this blue like for every pulse there was this blue that flashed and he says you see that and I said yeah he said that I just made your that heart come to life by the push of that button, that blue is the electrical beat. He said, so your heart is beating, and that electrical, that, that, that's what we're going in to kind of mess with and hopefully correct. And he said, but I have a question for you. And I said, well, what? And he said, who do you think made that electrical pulse? Who started that? And I looked at him, and I followed his logic. And I said, well, the God who created us. And he said, Absolutely. And he said, then don't worry, you're in my hands in the hands of the great physician. So that comforted me. But you know, the point is, who call, who, your heart is beating right now. You can't explain that. But that heartbeat, he upholds the universe by the very word of his power. That's how supreme he is. 
And so he is not only the, not only the creator of all things, he is the sustainer of all things. And even though the unbeliever would not recognize that, that is the reality and that is the truth. He is the sustainer of all things. Even physicists cannot explain why atoms hold together and don't explode apart, given that they are sep- that atoms their separation in the, between the electrons and the uh, the electrons and the protons. It's just fascinating. The whole reality that the universe holds together is what is the explanation? It is Christ. That is the explanation. So here's what we have to recognize. Okay, so we, we affirm this, that he is supreme in creation. If Jesus has created us, sustains us, and he is supreme, then we must trust him and totally live for him. I mean, that's the implication here. That's why Paul's driving this home. So it begs the question to all of us, what are we living for? Are we living for him? the one who created, the one who sustains? Have we given ourselves fully to him? But there's a second thing that that Paul says here. Jesus is not only, is is he supreme in creation? He then says he is sovereign in the church. And that's how you see the hymn, the stanza structure. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church. So he is the, image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and he is the head of the body, the church. And so here what Paul does, he goes on to say, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place or preeminence in everything. So notice what Paul does is he shifts from creation to salvation. He shifts from creation to redemption exclaiming that the very creator of the universe also is the redeemer of the church. And if you thought creation was good, salvation's better. I mean, salvation is better. And it shows you that he is the sovereign in the church. He is the Lord in the church. And so here's the claim. And the claim here of Christ being sovereign in the church is about his role. Notice what Paul says. He is the head of the church. As head of the church, that means he has, a, he has full control, complete authority, that he is sovereign in the church. So Paul depicts the church as a body, a living organism, right? And he is the source of its life. Without a head, there's just a body. I mean, I don't think it takes rocket science to figure that out. And so what Paul wants us to see is, is that without Christ, the church doesn't exist. That's why he says he is the head, the most important part of the body. If he is most important in all creation, he is most important in the church. Because without him, we're not here. Without him, there's nothing to sing about. Without him, there's no reason to live. Without him, there's no salvation. And so Paul says that's why he's the head of the church. But he is also the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And so the word beginning here in verse 18, the word beginning, what, is he, what does he mean by this? He means that Christ has initiated a new creation. Remember what we said? If you thought creation was, was good, wait till you see this. He's initiated a new creation. And he is 
he is sovereign in it because he's been raised from the dead. And here we are reminded that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He entered the world. He endured the penalty for our sin on the cross. And then he rose victorious over the grave by the power of the Spirit into a resurrected life. And thus in him, dead sinners can be forgiven of sin. And as we just demonstrated, as we were in the, ba- the waters of baptism, we showed that baptism is a symbol of what has happened. Through faith, we have died to our sin. We are buried with Christ. And what we rise again to what? To walk in new life. Romans 6. Do you see Jesus is the beginning? He's the firstborn of the dead. And so the point here is, is that we now live a new life where Jesus is Lord and the Spirit controls us. And the reason why is because Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He's the one that was raised so that you and I could have everlasting life. That's what Paul is driving at. And notice what he says. He says, read the rest of it. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, just as he's the firstborn in creation. He is the first in rank, the highest in rank from the dead because he rose again for our behalf that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, what does he mean by preeminent? First place. First place. That in everything he might be preeminent. In other words, the whole purpose of the resurrection is so that he would be Lord of all. That's what Paul is saying. The resurrection of Jesus Christ ensures that not only is he supreme, but he is the sovereign Lord of creation and the church. The resurrection means he is Lord of all. Both creation and redemption depend on him. The church depends on him. And there was no one else at his level. What Paul does here when he says that he might have preeminence, he has eliminated any other religion, any other claim of a so-called redeemer. He dethrones all and everything, including our own tendency to exalt ourselves. And what he does is, is he says, listen, Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, the head of the church, Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and there is no other. There is no salvation in anyone else. There is no one and nothing else to which we should bow our knee. He is the only one worthy to be highly exalted that at his name every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if Jesus is that sovereign, then you and I should bow our knee to him and to him alone. And the truth is, he will not share our hearts with any other. But why must he be preeminent? I mean, what does Paul then go on to detail? And some of this we will go into more next week. But the reason that Christ should be preeminent in the church is, notice in verse 19, for in him... Okay, so the reason he's, he's, he's sovereign in the church and the reason that he is preeminent is for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's already said that, hasn't he? 
It's just he's saying it in a different way. So the reason, two reasons. One, his divine person, and two, his saving work. He says, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul here asserts again that Jesus is fully God. What did he say earlier? He said that he is the image of the invisible God. Here, he says, in him, the fullness of God, not part God, not a little bit of God, Jesus, again, is fully God. Because, again, the Colossians have the Jehovah Witnesses knocking on their door. And they need to know how to witness to these Jehovah Witnesses. They need to know how to talk to these Mormons. No, wait a minute, you got Jesus all wrong. In him is God fully. All that is God is in Christ, Paul says. And his becoming human and taking on flesh and being born of the Virgin Mary is the miracle of the incarnation that the eternal Son of God, who has always existed, would come to this earth to die on the cross to save and rescue us. That is what Paul's driving at in terms of the divine person. And that's why we again should stand in awe of the truth of Christ's deity. He is fully God and fully man. But then Paul says, listen, he should preeminent, be preeminent in the church because he's fully God, but also because of his saving work. Look what he says in verse 19. And through him, in him all the fullness of God, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus takes on flesh, fully God and fully man, that he might reconcile all things through his saving work on the cross. And by all things, Paul simply is indicating that all of the effects of the fall are now being reversed because of Christ. The entire created realm is being made right, and one day it'll be made new when he comes again. But what Jesus has done on the cross is he has initiated, he has initiated the new creation. And one day it'll be in full display when he comes again. And everything is made new. But currently he's made peace between God and sinners. Because on the cross he shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven and our sins could be atoned for, and salvation could be ours as we have believed upon Him. And so the hostility between God and man through Christ's finished work has now been, or God and sinners, has now been reconciled. So do you see how Paul has climbed two peaks for his song, his prose of praise? You thought creation was good. Salvation is better. So here's the truth applied. If Jesus is the sovereign Lord, then he must be first place in everything. He already is. It's just whether or not we're going to bow to him now. He's already Lord. He's not asking anybody to make him Lord. He's already Lord. What he is, is calling all of us to bow to him as Lord. And if we bow to him now in this life, 
we will receive grace and mercy and salvation. Is Jesus Christ Lord to you? Do you bow your need to, need to his lordship? And so the conclusion here is simple. That's the hymn to Christ. Christ is our hymn. He is our song. And here's what we sing, church. He is supreme. He is sovereign. And there is no note sweeter. No melody greater. No song more profound than that of Jesus Christ. Our hearts should erupt in awe and wonder at the Jesus presented here in this text. Because this is the Jesus of the gospel. He is first. He is most important. And as we go into this next year, we want to know him, love him, and preach him better and better. Think about it. John Owen, the Puritan, wrote this again, and I'll close with this. The revelation made of Christ in the blessed gospel is far more excellent, more glorious, and more filled with rays of divine wisdom and goodness than the whole of creation and the just comprehension of it, if attainable, can contain or afford. You just experienced that right there, reading that passage. Without this knowledge, the mind of man, however priding itself in other inventions and discoveries, is wrapped up in darkness and confusion. This, therefore, Christ deserves the severest of our thoughts, the best of our meditations, and our utmost diligence in them. For if our future blessedness shall consist in living where he is and beholding of his glory, what better preparation can there be for it than a constant previous contemplation of that glory as revealed in the gospel that by a view of it we may be gradually transformed into the same glory? You know what he's saying? Think much of Jesus now. Because when you get in his presence, you're going to think of him all for eternity. Because you'll be in his presence forever. So what is your song this morning? What is supreme in your life? Is it Jesus? Who is your Lord that you bow to? What will be first place in your life in 2023? May it be Christ. And may he be our song as we stand and respond this morning. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the, the gracious attention of your people this morning. Thank you for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we as a church will love him better, serve him better, preach him better in the days ahead. As we stand in awe of who he is, he is our song. He is the one that we lift up because you have glorified him through his death and resurrection and you have highly exalted him that at, at his name every knee bows and tongue confess that he is Lord. If there's anyone in here that has not done that yet in their life, may they do that now and may we as your children sing your praise on this first day of a new year. In his name, amen.